and welcome to the Doctor Who pod. My name is Sai. Today we're bringing you an episode from New Who, which was selected by the other half of this rounded, bearded, time-travelling duo, uh, Mr. Dan Griffin. How are we doing, my friend? Very well, mate. I've had uh, I've had my nap in the uh, the Morpheus chamber after the last episode, so I am ready, <laughs> well rested, and raring to go. Brilliant stuff. Brilliant stuff. Before we dive in to the, I suppose, time travelling meat of the episode today, uh, once again, I want to give a big shout out and a big thank you to Borna Matasic from uh, Borna Matasic Music YouTube, bornamatasic.com, at Borna Matasic on Twitter for the use of his cover of the Doctor Who theme, his guitar cover of the classic Doctor Who anthem there. Uh, we really appreciate it, Borna. Thank you so, so much. And I encourage everyone to go and check out all of his work on YouTube. But you can also find him on Twitter as well. Well worth checking out there. It's some brilliant, brilliant stuff, isn't it, Dan? It is indeed. I can't, just like you say, I can't thank Borna enough. Just go and check out his stuff. He is quality. Top bloke, mate. Top bloke. And if you message him on Twitter or anything like that, real nice fella to chat to as well. So reach out and, you know, have, have a little chat with Borna about his music, where he started playing and... You know, he may even uh, cover a song or a sci-fi theme for you, hey? So, So, Dan, after we started off our uh, journey from, I suppose, one story per Doctor, as we're doing in in our first season of the Doctor Who pod, we started with Tom Baker and the genesis of the Daleks. Uh, This then rolls around to being your turn to select today. Dalek is very much the theme again, my friend. Do you want to just talk us through what, what we're looking at today? Yeah, the episode is Dalek. It was a Christopher Eccleston episode that aired on the 30th of April 2005. It's a Series 1, uh, Episode 6 of uh, New Doctor Who, but technically it's also Series 27, Episode 6, uh, if you're, uh, if you're ah, following okay. that. <laughs> <laughs> um, I selected it for the obvious link, which was the Daleks. Um, but this is also the first time in New Who that we see one of the major villains return, you know, one of the iconic Doctor mm. Who villains. Up to now, we've we've had the Autons return in, in the very first episode, um, Eccleston's very first episode, obviously. Uh, we yep. had uh, the living trampoline, Cassandra, and her robots in uh, in the second episode. We had ghosts in Victorian London with uh, with Charles Dickens, and we had the mean green farting Slovene trying to take over Downing Street in the uh, <laughs> in the two parts. <laughs> I actually watched that before I watched this that that two part because I was like, I remember it being a bit naff, right? And okay, it, and it is a bit naff, but in a really fun way. Like you, you just. Even if you just can't fault it for the fire jokes. <laughs> <laughs> and as two fully grown men, our life is all about fire and willy jokes. So it's <laughs> Yeah, exactly. Any 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 uh, TV show or movie that can include the line, do you mind not farting while I'm saving the world? <laughs> <laughs> but anyway, I digress. Uh, back to Dalek. Um I also chose this for Eccleston's performance. Because this is the first time we see the Doctor properly, properly angry. And flashes of the, the pain and, and torment and trauma after the Time War. Which is very much a running theme throughout modern Doctor Who. The talk's, are, the talks are always about Gallifrey and where it went at the end of the Time War and what he had to do. How he essentially had to commit a double genocide. Mm. 
I'm not going back down that road. <laughs> no, no after, after our last episode, lots of Nazis, lots of talk of Holocaust and genocide. It, it got a bit dark in places. Let's not do that. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> so, yeah, I, I chose this one because it's very, um, very sort of seminal. It's the first time we see the sort of dark side of the Doctor, if you will. And we'll get onto uh, we'll get onto a couple of uh, couple of bits in that because there is you very rarely see the Doctor frothing mad. In this, you actually see him foaming at the mouth. He's so yeah. angry. Yeah, totally. I mean, I I rewatched this probably, I suppose maybe two hours or so before we met online to discuss it. I like to try and watch as, as close to last minute as I can to keep it fresh in my mind, even though obviously mm-hmm. you know, I've got notes that I go from as well, but it, it makes it easier for me with certain things. I, I've not seen this probably since it aired. I, I've seen, with regards to New Who, you've obviously got um, the, the channel W or Watch or whatever it's called or, or on Sky and Cable and so on. They show a lot of reruns of, of New Who or, or did recently anyway. Yeah, but it tends to all be David Tennant or Matt Smith stuff. I don't know if that's the only series they own the rights to. I'm not sure how it works, but Quite you don't possibly. It, it yeah. may also it may also just be that those two were vastly more popular. But Eccleston really laid the groundwork. Yeah, yeah, but I mean, I can't think of a time that where. I mean, again, correct me if I'm wrong. You may know Dan, but I can't think of anywhere that has re-shown the Eccleston episodes. Uh, Dave, back in the day, did. Okay, they had a lot of um, they had a lot of the um, uh, the Eccleston episodes on repeat, but probably not certainly not in the last probably five to ten years. Right. Okay. So it would easily be that amount of time since I've seen this then, and mm. I, fr- from the Eccleston run, I remember being crazy, crazy excited. Doctor Who was coming back as a Doctor Who fan. I didn't know a great deal about Eccleston. And when I first saw him, when he first arrived in that very first episode of, of New Who, I thought, this guy, this guy seems seems good. This is going to be mm. enjoyable. And you're right. It then kind of, for me, and again, I'm going for memory here because it was a long time ago I saw these episodes, but it did kind of feel, I suppose, I suppose using your words, at times a little bit math. Um, I suppose, uh, paraphrasing a little bit from other people, as well it kind of went into maybe a little bit of a kids program here and there it was a bit mm. too light-hearted maybe but this yeah. this episode i didn't realize until watching it back today quite how serious it was in places yeah it really is and then this episode's a, pr- a prime example but then you've got things like uh the two-parter that we discussed in the uh, in the introduction episode with the, the empty child mm-hmm. that's that's a good blend of the sort of Saturday night telly, but also the sci-fi drama side of things. Yeah. That mixes okay. quite well. Cause you've got Jack who's a bit of comic relief. Um, you've got the scenes where the doctors with the kids, but then you've got one of the, that kid with the gas mask is creepy. I stand yeah. by it. <laughs> it I'll terrified me. Um, and then you get f- further on in the series, you have the game show episode. Is, oh, and they've got a robotic um, Anne Robinson. Is that yeah. right? For the weakest link and stuff. Yeah, and, and Big Brother. But if you get evicted, you get disintegrated. Yeah. Oh, I totally forgot about that. Yeah. But even that, even that, that's one of the cheesier ones. Mm. But that lays the framework. Uh, oh no, sorry. No, I'm getting sorry. I'm getting my episodes mixed up. That's set in a space station 
where they'd been previously in the series because there was an episode with Simon Pegg, who was the the editor, and it was like that supposed to be a giant news station. From yeah. Dalek, doesn't it? It do, yeah, that's the next one along. Yeah. The next one along, the, they go to this giant news station. It's meant to be advancing. You know, it's meant to be so advanced and humanity branching out to space. And Simon Pegg's there all pale and doesn't look to look like an alien. And his boss, the Jagrafess, is in the ceiling. Yes, <laughs> I remember. Like, the, the, the sort of, um, I don't know how you'd word it, a trailer, I guess, for the yeah. next episode. I, I, as I said, I saw the episode we're covering today, Dalek, an hour and a half, two hours ago. So I wouldn't have any idea at all if it wasn't for the trailer on the end of what you're talking about. But yeah, Simon Pegg and and the monster up in the ceiling, I completely forgot about until you mentioned it there as well. Yeah, but as far as the cheesiness goes, I can get that the Autons in the first episode were very cheesy. Like I watched that and I thought, I remember I was 14, 15, and I just looked at it and thought, hmm, I'll give it another chance. Okay. The the Slovene themselves, they were really cheesy. And probably a bit eggy given the amount they were farting um, <laughs> <laughs> uh, so yeah it was it was a mixed bag and then in the second in the second series uh, the, that followed on this from this with tenant they sort of gradually bled in a bit more seriousness mm. yeah and a, a bit more something a bit more for the grown-ups because i think they realized that that was more who was watching it yeah, I get you. See, it's funny you mention about the, the very first episode with the the autons the, the, the villains there yeah, okay, looking at it, I suppose they are a bit silly, a bit daft, whatever, but I was crazy excited about it when I started seeing clips and that coming up because I can remember them, not firsthand from the 70s because I wasn't born until 81, but re-watching the VHS tapes and re-watching the reruns of Doctor Who and so on and seeing the the mannequins come alive and all that sort of stuff. And mannequins in, I don't know whether you went to Debenhams or yeah. uh, wherever, these mannequins when i was a little kid freaked me out going shopping with my mum because of them battling john pertwee back in whenever it was 1970 whatever yeah i can understand that and this is the thing it's where our sort of fandoms sort of branch if you like i had no frame of reference for the autons okay because i've never obviously never seen it yeah so i to me they were just okay the mannequin thing i get that it's you know it's monsters hiding in plain sight that's a bit creepy but at the same time, it just doesn't look threatening at all, even with the handguns, you know? <laughs> yeah, no, yeah. I mean, on that same note, sort of 70s, 80s television, I still, um, well, today I went into town with, with my eldest daughter. Um, I still get funny feelings in my belly and a little bit worried when I get on an escalator because of the old advert where the Wellington boot got sucked down the side and they said, do not step <laughs> on the yellow lines. So that gives you a little little insight as to how my mind works with old television. So <laughs> I'm sure I've told you before about me getting my shoelace stuck in an escalator. You haven't, and I don't want you to. I won't <laughs> sleep tonight, Dan. <laughs> it was all fine. I was 12 years old. I was on holiday with the family. Um, I'm going to make myself sound fancy. And I was in Hong Kong uh, in, in a shopping centre. We'd just been to eat or something. And, uh, yeah, shoelace caught in the uh, the thing. It starts chewing it up. It goes a lot slower than you'd expect it to. Right. But I start freaking out thinking it's going to have my whole foot. You know? Yeah. Because <laughs> that's what the advert yeah. did. They put a Wellington boot on the yellow line and it got sucked down and destroyed. Yeah. Turns out all you do, all my old man just bashes the emergency stop pull the, uh, the shoelace out, it's all mangled and, and wander off uh, while a load of people yell at me for causing an issue. Ah, that's straightforward. No, no, injured, no accident, no injuries, just uh, 
just a, the title to a story you can tell that might freak people out. All those nightmares I had as a five, six year old were unnecessary then. Brilliant. Okay. I'm, here for you, mate. I'm, I'm undoing the trauma. <laughs> Uh, so then, um, Dalek, Dan, I, yes. the very first scene of this, the very first location of this, when the TARDIS materializes and they're walking through effectively a museum, mm. I loved that. The old, and I can remember watching that when it happened back in 2005 or whenever it was when it first aired and getting a kick out of the old Cyberman helmet. Yes. from the 80s uh, and all this stuff are oh, just i love the, i love the throwbacks in new who back to classic who I, I get a real kick out of it oh it's amazing and I, even i knew what the cybermen were you know and mm-hmm. how though because it's just it's one of those villains that bleeds into popular culture yeah um yeah. and i remember my dad telling me they were terrifying and, and all of that and you know all they did was walk over a hill but mm. <laughs> the concept was just mad, but I love it when he they find the lights. They're on Earth, Utah, half a mile underground, seven years into their future. I quite liked it when Rose asks, "When are we?" Yes, rather than "Where." Yeah, that's, yeah. that's great. Yeah, yeah, and then you see what was it? It's like a meteorite, moon dust, the mile uh, the mileometer from the Roswell spaceship, <laughs> a stuffed Slitheen arm. Yeah, and then it was like it was a weird reunion with the Doctor and the Cyberman, wasn't it? Yeah, and it, that, that Cyberman helmet, that, that sort of design, I, I always link it with Peter Davidson mm. uh, from Earthshock and stuff like that. It's very much that style of Cyberman helmet. In my head, anyway, I may be completely screwing up the timeline there. And as we said last week and on an introductory episode, we're going to make mistakes. We're not as encyclopedic when it comes to our Doctor Who knowledge as other people that are on Twitter or we may know ourselves or whatever. But our, brains, our brains are all wibbly-wobbly and this is all timey-wammy. So. Exactly. So um, I, I always I always link that with like the likes of Earthshock and so on, which is very sort of early to mid-80s with Peter Davidson. Mm. So seeing that and then the Doctor reacting to that, but in New Who, I thought it was just, just wonderful. I thought it was glorious. It's that moment where he just, he looks almost wistful. Yeah. For this old enemy, he's just, he said, look at you. I mean, this yeah. plays in perfectly to my accent, so it's you know I'm all for this. Uh, that's, <laughs> that, that, that's my other reason for starting with Eccleston, Northern Doctor. Right, um, I see. <laughs> I see. Um, saying you know stuff of nightmares reduced to an exhibit. I'm getting old. Yeah. Yeah. Oh, it's it's so good, so good. But you, you get little moments and little. I don't want to say one-liners because that makes it almost sound like they're jokes. But you get sort of just throwaway comments potentially from from the, do- the Doctor, from other characters as well. I mean, the Dalek itself, for example, mm. that really sort of hit home. And they are literally just one or two sentences just thrown out there. But when you sort of think about it for a second, some of them are either brilliantly funny or really deep. Yeah, there's like that when, when he says, just the Doctor saying, look at you. Yeah, it, it it says so much without saying a lot. You, you can read so much into it. Um and then this sort of poignant moment of uh, somebody looking at his old, his old enemy and, and contemplating his age and, and life and whatnot, it all gets ruined by the alarms and the armed guards and the uh, <laughs> yeah. the, the arm to the teeth Americans. <laughs> yeah, that's right. Um, remind me, the person who is in charge of this, who apparently owns the internet, as we find out later, <laughs> what was his name? 
Henry Van Staten. That's it. Yes. To rob a uh, to rob a thing uh, to rob a a uh, a bit off Benny on uh, the waiting room. Your other podcast. Uh, I had a look into it for uh, what he calls the tropes, because I was oh, yeah. sure in Henry Van Staten in other in other bits and pieces, and he's been in things like Band of Brothers, Black Hawk Down, a couple of the Bond films, one of the X Men films. But it was still bugging me where I'd seen him. Okay, it's two things. The first one was he was Agent Clay in, her, in the original Hellboy. Right. Just I need to go back and watch because it didn't register at all. But also. Do you remember The Mummy with Brendan Fraser and Rachel Weiss? Yeah, that's going, what's that, 98, 99? 98, 99, yeah. He was one of the four Americans who were the first one, who were the first victims oh, of The Mummy. I'll tell you what, that's where I know him from. There that's you go. Because I, I, in my head, <laughs> and, I, and I was completely wrong, and I'm going to sound ridiculously, but I looked into that guy myself, hmm. not to see what he had been in, other than to check if he was one particular person from a TV show. Because I looked at him and I thought, is that him? I don't know. And I don't want to go ask the wife because I'm I'm either brilliantly right because I've noticed it and, and, and everyone else in the room goes, oh, yeah. Or the wife goes, no, you're miles off, you bloody idiot. <laughs> you know, so I thought, I'm not going to check. I'm going to have a little look myself. Do you remember in um, the TV show Friends that Monica had a boyfriend in the very early seasons mm. who went into the ultimate fighting world, into cage fighting. I remember well. that very well because we covered it on Unbooking the Tankatory, which is one of my ah. side projects from UTT. <laughs> there you go. Now, I was looking at this guy playing the villain in Doctor Who and thinking, is that him? And do you know what, Dan? Do you know what? It was not. <laughs> no, it was, uh, it was, it was John Favreau. Who is now the, one of the geniuses behind the uh, the Marvel Cinematic Universe, which I know you don't watch. But... No, I have no idea about any of that. <laughs> I, I, I know, literally, I know nothing about any of that, mate. You're talking about Hellboy just then. I, I straight over me. Not even Marvel. Um... <laughs> no, okay. <laughs> but, my wife, yeah. honestly, my wife loves it. I mean, literally today, I bought her a massive poster with lots of. Um, comic book front covers from all different characters and all this sort of, and it's a really oh, I've got one visually of yeah visually it looks amazing I don't know who half these people are but my wife was really excited about it she loves it she's got all the Funko Pops and the little wobbly head guys and watches all the movies and she's proper into it but it's not for me mate yeah fair enough that's fine um, I did look into a couple of the other sort of I suppose you call them side characters in this yeah Anna Louise Plowman who uh, plays who plays Diana Goddard who very quickly yeah. becomes Henry Van Staten's uh, right-hand woman, as it were, because he's very much the billionaire asswipe. She's got a sci-fi previous. She was in Stargate SG-1 for four years as uh, Dr. Sarah Gardner and Osiris. I never really watched much Stargate, so that goes a bit over my head. And, I, saw, uh, I saw the film, but that yeah. was going back even further. Yeah, after Doctor Who, she did uh, four years in Holby City. Oh, I am watching um, that crap. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> um, she was in a she was in the pirate series Black Sails as Mrs. Hudson, and then I need to go back and watch them because I watched this, but I can't remember seeing her in it. Uh, she was in two episodes of The Witcher on Netflix. I've not seen The Witcher either, so I'm not sure. I'm not sure. I'm not sure. It is brilliant, but I'm not. Sh- I'm not hundred percent certain to be our thing. Uh, okay. I know, again, the wife, the wife Sharon, she wants to watch The Witcher. She's seen the trailers and says it looks really good. But it's it's a really well told story. It's one of those series that everything falls into place right at the end. Up until then, it keeps you guessing. Okay, see, I like stuff like that. 
it's fl- it, it, it flits between timelines. Oh, I'm in. I'm in. <laughs> it's not time. It's not time travel, <laughs> but it's timelines converging. Yeah, that's fine. I can handle that. I'm in. <laughs> you sold it. <laughs> I'll go downstairs and tell the wife that in a minute. I'll say, hey, I fancy watching that Witcher. She'll be over the moon. You'll get a, you'll get a message later, Dan, saying thank you. I expect a gift <laughs> basket. <laughs> <laughs> and then uh, just finally, uh, Bruno Langley, who plays Adam Mitchell, uh, for anybody who was around in the late 90s, early 2000s, um, he was on Coronation Street for 17 years. Yeah, that's right. Yeah, Coronation Street. I've never watched Coronation Street properly, but... I remember him being in it, I guess, wherever he popped up in adverts or yeah. was, certain episodes were on. He was in it for quite a while, so. He was, yeah. Um, we also, so just going back to the uh, the main um, the main show, we get, after the credits, uh, which I'll ask you about in a sec, we get our first big Easter egg. And it's when the chopper's descending and it's Bad Wolf 1 descending. Yeah. Yeah, which obviously by the end of the series, spoiler alert, people, yeah. we know is incredibly significant. Um, yeah, and, and again, that was brilliant when it was happening. Because you almost like when you're watching the shows week to week and something bad wolf would pop up. I remember sitting there and going, oh, my God, yeah, that's like the bad wolf thing again and getting super excited because I noticed it. I was a dumb teenager, so I didn't notice it until it literally put it right in front of me. Um, (laughs) (laughs) I probably missed a lot of them. I probably maybe like noticed two or something and got excited. But (laughs) I think I I noticed I noticed this one. And in the episode before, I noticed that some kid had graffitied the TARDIS with bad wolf. That's right. Yeah, I remember. Yeah, yeah. Oh, you asked me about it last uh, last week, so I'm gonna have to ask you: What did you make to the credits? Watching them back today, they they were what they were. They weren't anything I've not seen before, obviously. Mm. Um, but they were well done for the time. I mean, it's not massively old. It's not massively new. What is it? 15, 16 years old now. So, sixteen it, going on seventeen years old. Yeah. yeah. So, I mean, I think I think it looks quite good. It's it's it's. Yeah great it's colorful the muse the music's so iconic anyway isn't it you know um when the series restarted back in 2005 and i saw it for the first time then having been a doctor who fan when i was eight nine ten whatever seeing it back on television with that modern twist i remember being crazy excited back then Mm. when i first saw that yeah, I was exactly the same. But I've again, this is where we differ. I've got that massive nostalgia hit for that intro, for the for the even down to the fonts on the uh, on the writing, uh, the whole you know the the orange oval logo with the spaced out words. That now that I think about it, it was a little bit Farscapey. If you ever watched Farscape, no, I haven't. It's, I'm not being I, much out today, am I, mate? Let's be honest. No, no, it's, it's fine, <laughs> I watch. I only the only reason I watched a ton of Farscape was at some point in my early to mid twenties. I was I was really ill. I had like a I had a, a stomach flu or something. Okay. So I, I was in bed for days, and a friend of mine dropped round Farscape box sets and said, uh, "Okay, this will pass the time." I know you like your you know your sci fi stuff and and all of that. And I put them on. I was like. It's like early 2000s era sci-fi. So I'm like, it's all right. It's all right. And then I watched about 10 episodes and I says, I don't think, am I enjoying this? Is it, is it that good? And I was like, I'm not sure if I'm enjoying it, but I really need to know what happens. I yeah, mean, I, know what you mean. I ended up plowing through about 35 episodes in three days. Why? Okay. <laughs> three or four days, I was just like, I can't go anywhere else unless I'm going yeah. to the toilet. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Too much information, but uh, anyway. Uh, okay, dope then. So, 
the doctor and rose have been i suppose escorted off by the person who owns the internet and <laughs> and, and the soldiers and so on and I, I love the line we get here where somebody says uh, i think i think it might have been the uh, again remind me of his name dan i keep forgetting Henry Van Staten. I'll have Van you know. Staten. Okay, Van Staten. Uh, he asks how they got in, and nobody can really answer. And he says, "Intruder window," as in intruder window. And, and he gets crickets. Yeah, but I popped. I laughed. <laughs> I thought it was great. <laughs> <laughs> of course you did. Of course you did. Yeah, I, I love that. I love that. But then he has to prompt them to laugh by saying, "That's funny." Yeah, Is and they all chuckle away. I mean, we're both wrestling fans, as I've mentioned before. Did you get a bit of Vince McMahon from him? Oh, I'll tell you what. At the time, no. But now you're pointing that out? Oh, my God, yes. <laughs> that never entered my mind. But now you're pointing that out? Yeah, totally. <laughs> Why? There was, just a, there was a bit in there when he's, he's saying, when that guy, he wants the president replaced, someone questions him, are you fired? Yeah. Next one, straight in. Republican or Democrat? Democrat. Why? They're just so funny. He's <laughs> just like, I he like stops, you. He stops everyone and goes, I like you. Yeah. <laughs> it's like kind of crazy, insane dictator kind of, you know, all power, I guess, isn't it? Power crazy kind of individual. Yeah. And he's, he's going, he's going a mile, he's going a mile a minute. So where's the English kid? Um, you know, more pressing issue with the intruders. He does his intruder window line, then he says he wants to go visit his little pet. Yeah. And he, he knows what he wants. He wants it now. He's just fired somebody. They've established him within about 30 seconds as a rich prick. Yeah, exactly. And you're right. They, they've established him in that way so quickly and so effectively, you know straight away where you stand with this individual, don't you? Yeah, exactly. And it, 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 this is one of the better characters that only appears for one episode. Mm. I think because he's he's not a, he's not even a villain. He's just a knob. Yeah, he's just an absolute <laughs> dick, isn't he? That just you know makes horrific, selfish, rich, entitled decisions that affect other people. Which I don't want to get political, but let's just say at the time of recording resonates quite deeply with modern times. Well, yes. <laughs> <laughs> Eventually, we find that the, the new, uh, I suppose, the new um, find in the museum the new item that they have mm. is actually alive and has been and this is why the doctor has arrived at this location isn't it because this this new artifact for want of a better term i suppose has been sending mm. out a distress signal which the tardis has picked up on and and followed in because it's the only thing in the museum that has life to it isn't it dan yeah exactly and it goes back to a little bit what i was saying last week about you know when the tardis is dragged off by a distress signal why is it never a planet that the that they, yeah. can't breathe, that they can't breathe on. <laughs> well, it just so happens this one's Earth and they've made it make sense. Um, they were real tense exchange of the Doctor and uh, uh, and Van Staten, where they're, they're just both kind of puffing the chests out verbally and trying to say who's the smarter and you know who's the richer and all the rest of it. And Rose gets her first little one line, but line away, she's just, blimey, you can smell the testosterone. <laughs> yeah, exactly. I'll tell you what, on the comment of Rose as well, and... I'm going to choose my words incredibly carefully here because of, of the society we live in. I don't want to offend anybody because I'd be very, very much not what I'm going for here in any way, shape or form. But how attractive is Rose Tyler in this episode? She's an incredibly pretty girl, isn't she? 
and she, I think all she's doing is, is knocking around in early 2000s clothes, just jeans and a, and a top. But she comes across, jacket, in, yeah. yeah, incredibly attractive in this episode. And do you know why that is? I think, or at least in part for me, she just stands up to people. She does not take any shit. Yeah. When Van Staten says, uh, he refers to Rose as she, it's like, oh, it's just saying to the doctor, quite a collector yourself. And she just says, she's going to smack you in a minute if you don't stop yeah. calling her she. And it's the oh, eyes right. as well, isn't it? It's the big eyes that just stare back at people in almost very defiantly to, to people who are dismissive towards her, I suppose. Yeah, it's for lack of a, a better term, and I can't believe I'm dropping this so early when I did so well last week in, uh, in not swearing. It's it's the fuck you attitude. Yes, um, it really is. Um, but the thing is, I, when I was a kid, uh, because Billy Piper's a I think a, a shade older than a, a few years older than me, I remember when a pop career started. Yeah, so I, 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 so I had a crush on Billy Piper. <laughs> <laughs> when, when I was before I even knew what a crush was, right? <laughs> so, okay, yeah. so yeah, it was, it's great seeing Doctor. She's she she's beautiful. Yeah, and she was a great companion as well. I think she was. It, it could have been very easy. I, I, I suppose Eccleston being the Doctor in in the reboot, I suppose, or the start mm. of New Who. Everyone talks about how that could have gone wrong, and if it had gone wrong. Then it could have it could have scuppered the whole thing, I guess. Because if if you get the first new Doctor wrong, that knackers the whole the whole idea of, of, of restarting the show. But I don't think the the companion, the role that Billy Piper plays as Rose Tyler here, I don't think that gets addressed in the same way. But I think it's probably as important, isn't it? Yeah, absolutely. Because in this first series, Rose is very much the Doctor's moral compass at mm. times a sort of grounding rod for him and and they refer to this later on basically uh, in the David Tennant era when it's the end of the Don and Noble series where you end up with the human time lord metacrisis so you've got the fully fledged doctor a doctor who's half human and some of the doctor's consciousness in Donna okay and the the, the fully fledged doctor looks at Rose because he's sending he's basically sending her back to the alternate dimension that she lives in and sending the half-human doctor with her. And he looks at it and he says something along the lines of, he is me when you first met me. He was forged in fire and in war and anger. Do for him what you did for me. Meaning that she brought him down from that, or, brought, or raised yeah. him up from that place of hurt and torment. And it's a really funny thing in, in this, because people don't bat an eyelid sort of in wider society when they see David Tennant and Billy Piper in that series, you know, side to side, back to back, romantically involved or, you know, teased to be romantic, whatever, because there's a such a pronounced age difference between Eccleston and Piper, that could have gone really wrong. It could have looked very odd, but they, they confront it head on in the series. In the, the first episode with the Slothine, of the Slothine two-parter, the doctor's got it wrong. He thinks that she's that they've been gone twelve hours. They've been gone twelve months. So right. there's posters up for Rose being missing and all that. And they sat there. The police have been called. And Rose's mum is Jackie's going mental. Um, so giving it. How old are you? What are you forty? Forty? Forty-five? Swanning off with a swanning off with a nineteen-year-old girl. You're basically saying, "What's your game?" You, you know. Yeah. Yeah, yeah. <laughs> and, even, even the, and even the police are saying, is this a romantic entanglement? Mm. And they're both just like, no, what? 
<laughs> okay, so on that note then, because obviously you've watched New Who is primarily where where you're, as we've said on uh, several times now on the show, New Who is very much your wheelhouse, isn't it, in comparison mm. to the, the sort of older stuff that I've seen. Where do you stand in, what's your mindset in the Doctor being, I suppose, romantically involved with a companion? Because you do have the relationship with Rose. You do have, I suppose, moments with other companions as well. I, I think it'd be very interesting to hear your viewpoint from a new Who fan view. Yeah. And, then, and then I'll put forward my, my thoughts on it as well. So as quickly as I can sort of run through it, Billy Piper, uh, Rose, made sense. Okay. The, to a point, because of what we just mentioned, the, uh, she met the doctor when he was just not off the rails, but he was in a, he was in a very dark place. He was frequent. He was basically in a, in a massive depression. You know, he's the last of his kind. Yeah, he's yeah. suffering this deep torment and trauma. She, and her, initially, her friendship brought him out of it. He regenerated as time goes on. They get closer. It happens. That sort of thing can happen. So that made sense. And things. It never became a fully fledged thing you know between the two okay it was never outwardly said that that there were any form of of intimate or whatever but they obviously cared for each other very deeply mm-hmm. companion after that martha martha was a great character the one big annoyance for looking back on it for me was she was const, almost constantly just sort of mooning and fawning over the doctor oh why doesn't he think about me like he thinks In about the same way he did yeah, yeah. yeah 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 it's like it, <laughs> He'd been there two minutes, and he's obviously still not over her. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> um, you can't rush these things. That's uh, it. The relationship with Catherine Tate, they were mates, mm-hmm. and they, made it, they went to great pains to explain that throughout the show, um, which Catherine Tate, uh, there, were, um, there was a lot of that annoyed me about Catherine Tate when I was younger. As I've grown up, I definitely appreciate her more. Um, but one of, the, one of the funniest bits in there was is there saying, I just want a mate. He said, well, you ain't mating with me, sunshine. He says, no, I just want a friend. I just want somebody to be, could, like, come along for the ride. Yeah. Um, so that relationship was fine. You know, that is what it is. Just, they can be friends. And then it was the same with Amy. And then after Amy, Clara was, again, Clara was, it was, it was a friendship. It was, it was a, a deep bond, but it was, you know, she had, she had boyfriends throughout the, um, you know, throughout her time with the doctor. Mm. And then, Bill was more a student-teacher relationship. And then you get to Jodie Whittaker and her companions and so far. Yeah, it's, it's all different been, again, isn't it? Yeah, it's, yeah, it's different again. It's, but again, it's all friendships. You know, it's, it's a little yeah. gang, it's a little sort of clan of mates and whatnot. The one that, the romantic entanglement that, make, that makes the most sense, and I do not have a single problem with it, is River Song. Yeah, okay. Because they just played it so well. Mm. From David Tennant right through to Peter Capaldi. You saw fragments of that relationship and it, it sort of build and grow and ebb and flow over time. But she was never full-time in the TARDIS that we mm. saw. But she obviously was at some point. And I, I, we didn't need to see it. Well, we saw them get married, for God's sake. I'm fine with what they presented thus far. If it became the Doctor and a spouse or a, a, you know, or a girlfriend or a boyfriend or just whoever that they're romantically entangled with, done in the right way, it can, I can see it working. Okay. I wouldn't okay. necessarily be against it. See, I hate it. Yeah. <laughs> <laughs> I'll be honest with you, I, I hate it. I hate, I mean, I can't get over, 
the doctor to me is always I always look at it like your William Hartnell, um, Triton, Pertwee, Baker, Davison's a bit different, but then you know, Sylvester McCoy was the doctor on TV when I was actively watching it as it was broadcast mm. back in the day. They're all older guys with younger companions, so there was never that kind of interaction I remember from, from Classic Who. So, my, my uh, I suppose my, my feelings about it was always very much a case of the doctor was the doctor. And his companions were his companions, and that was kind of it. And you had oh, companions, medical lab assistants. Yeah, exactly. And, and you had companions leave because they got romantically involved with people on certain planets, and they stayed for their part, their partner there, and, and all that sort of stuff. Like when New Who started, the Rose Tyler thing, the way they did it, yes, okay, fine. But I wasn't a massive fan because, to me, it's a case of I don't want to see. Uh, ultimately. She's kissing a bloody alien. Let's be honest. Let's let's call this what it is. Do you know what I mean? She, you know, she's human. He's an alien. That to me, uh, I know you're supposed to kind of overlook these things, but I'm looking at it very much straightforward. Of the case of, well, hang on a sec. William you know? Shatner will take great offence. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Um, and then um, we'll, we'll get to this more in depth when we speak about the whichever Matt Smith episode you pick to put forward when we get to the Matt Smith time. The whole Amy, Rory, Doctor dynamic during that time put me off completely. And I I, I didn't, yeah. I, I, I kind of, I kind of watched because I felt I should because I like Doctor Who, but if I missed an episode, I weren't arsed. Yeah, that's fair enough. I think with, um, with Amy and Rory, it was, the dynamic that bothered me the most was that for a long time Rory was just a spare part. He was a he was a drip. He was just he was just there, and it felt like that. that I mean, it's just out. Oh, no, no, let me get this right. He was just sort of there while Amy and the Doctor were the ones who were driving the adventure, were driving the story, mm-hmm. and then just at times he was there to just be insecure for the sake of him being insecure. Even though it all came out in the wash, and apart from some very early, I suppose, kind of over flirting with the doctor nothing nothing really came of it In but again end, you say you yeah. say early on that was happening that would have been enough to put me off because it was oh, yeah. early on so i wouldn't have carried on watching if that makes sense yeah i can see why it lost you i really can mm. um but it, again i i just it didn't bother me that much okay but not not to be too crude i would I think by the time matt smith rolled around i would have been when in my early twenties, late teens, early twenties, so I I was just sort of quite happy to see uh, see Karen Gillan. <laughs> okay. <laughs> anyway, anyway, I can't anyway. Help it. that's just the way it was. <laughs> <laughs> Intruder window. Um, <laughs> God, have we only got that far? <laughs> yeah. No. 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 <laughs> Ultimately, the new artifact in the museum is a Dalek, Dan, isn't it? It is. Do you want to do you want to talk us through effectively what then goes on? Because this is the first interaction we have with a Dalek in in since the restart of Doctor Who. Yeah, so um, we get to the door of the cage. The uh, I can't remember if it's Van Staten or the scientist says, "Oh, the signs of life inside." It says, "Inside what?" And they call it the Metaltron. That's right. Yeah, uh, which is a shit name. Um, mm-hmm. The Doctor goes into the cage, it's in darkness, he examines a table, there's torture weapons, apologises for Van Staten, introduces himself. And at that point, you see a very familiar blue light. Yeah, and the, just in the back. Glowing yeah. yogurt, the, the glowing yoghurt pot. 
and uh, <laughs> the Dalek starts saying Doctor and, and tries to exterminate him, and you get real fear from Eccleston mm-hmm. who's trying to be let out. But obviously the Dalek's damaged; it's visibly damaged. The gun isn't working, and then the glee that comes over his face as he yells the word that was synonymous with Eccleston's Doctor: "Fantastic! You're powerless, the great space dustbin." And he's getting in his face, but how does it feel? You know, I forgot about all of that. The the, the scene I remember, because I remember this this episode having really powerful moments like the Doctor being genuinely scared. That moment where the the, the Dalek chained up and he's trying to escape and he's he's terrified. Mm. I remember that being really powerful. But as you explained there, Dan, literally right afterwards, the whole dynamic of that scene, the whole balance of the characters there changes. Yeah, I, I didn't remember any of that whatsoever until it came on screen. I can remember the Doctor being terrified, and that's my kind of my kind of takeaway memory from this episode until I rewatched it today. Everything else was kind of just paled away into the background, mm. apart from the Doctor being that scared and me looking at Eccleston and thinking, "Wow, this guy's this guy's great." Yeah, and it it, it carries on though because. The doctor is he just hammers it home. He says, What's he saying? If you can't kill them, what are you good for? Yeah. You're nothing. What the hell are you here for? But as he's doing it, he's circling the Dalek and the eye stalks following him, which is just really cool. Mm. It's like it's a real it's a real power move from the doctor just to be circling this Dalek that he knows can't kill him. Um and the, the Dalek says he's waiting for orders, says you're never gonna get him. Uh, and Dalek's shouting, demanding orders, and the Doctor takes almost joy in saying, your entire race is dead. Yeah. You all burned. Ten million ships on fire. The entire Dalek race wiped out in a second. And it, the Dalek's telling him he's alive. He says, I watched it happen. And he gets it. He gets real aggressive right up there. He says, I made it happen. And then the Dalek says, you destroyed us. And that's the moment the Doctor realises what he's taking pleasure in. Mm-hmm. He's taking pleasure in the whole effectively what what he was questioning in Genesis of the Daleks that we looked at yeah. last last time out, Dan. He's there saying, have I got the right with the two cables? By this stage, what he's questioning back then has kind of happened under a different situation, under, under, under a different scenario. Yeah. And the when penny you, drops there, doesn't it? When you look at these two things back to back mm. and you hear and you see the Doctor almost vic- jubilant in victory and getting in this Dalek's face, you think, because we don't know at this point what's happened. No. We know there's been a war. We know something terrible's happened. And he's had to do something terrible. But oof, it's it's a real development of character over the course of the decades. Um, and the Doctor's saying, yeah, he sort of quiets down. He said, I had no choice. Mm. The Dalek asked about the Time Wars. are dead. They burned with you. They burned with you. The end of the last great Time War. Everyone lost. And the Dalek gets a jab in of his own, or its own. And the coward survived. And yeah. that's when you get another maniacal smile from Eccleston as he looks up and says, Oh, and I caught your little signal. Help me, poor little thing. <laughs> and, <laughs> and it's again taking pleasure in mocking the Dalek. Mm. But it's, it's that flip between real grief and sadness and just this vindictiveness as well. And then they're both sort of realising that they're alone in the universe. And it sort of comes to a culmination of uh, the Dalek saying, we are the same. And the Doctor saying, we're not the same. And getting, and they said, I'm not. And he just sort of tails off and you think he's getting all upset. And he goes, oh, maybe we are. And he runs through a couple of other pieces. Because I know what to do. I know what should happen. I know what you deserve. Exterminate. 
And mm. remember me saying that it's rare to see the doctor, the doctor in you who try and intentionally kill something. Yeah. Uh, this pretty much uh, takes a big old dump over that whole argument. Uh, because, yeah, but yeah. I think it stems. I think it stems purely from the fear that we see at the beginning of the uh, beginning of the beginning of the whole scene. Yeah. Think everything that follows the gloating, the back and forth, uh, and then the attempt to kill. I suppose. Mm. I think you can stems right back to the that that initial fear that the Doctor has. Yeah, oh, it definitely does. It definitely does. I mean, he's been obviously struggling with what he's done for ages. Now he's found that there's still one left mm. and one Dalek can destroy God knows what. So he feels like he has to do it, but it's it's still really, um, especially when the Dalek starts calling for mercy yeah. or pity. And he says, why should I? You never did. And it's just, whoa, there is yeah. there is some really, there is, he needs to talk to somebody because there is some real issues in there. <laughs> see, I'm, I'm I'm willing to to wager, and I can't say for certain because again my memory is patchy, and I've not seen every episode ever, so it's difficult to make this judgment, I guess, accurately. But I'm I'm willing to wager that we've not had an interaction like that between a Dalek and the Doctor ever before, because be you have yeah, and I think that is because you, you it is literally it is literally good and evil it's the two sides there mm. of the doctor and the daleks and the daleks are obviously these evil killing machines and that's the way they've been pushed since 1963 and here we are some 40 years later and they're in a room together having this conversation back and forth and the emotions are going back and forth and up and down and and that the fear on one side then turns to anger and which then turns, I mean, there were, there are moments during this episode, including these scenes here, but also a bit later on where I almost felt sorry for the Dalek. It's weird, isn't it? So it's strange. Weird they, it's weird how they managed to make it as the, as the, uh, as Adam calls it later in the episode, uh, this great big pepper pot, mm. uh, they managed to make it look sad and, and, and pitiable almost, even though, you know, it's a, it's a lethal, just, death machine yeah and i think when you say about that kind of interaction i think i would wager because again not seeing any of the old who i would wager the closest we've ever got to that was in genesis of the daleks when you had the doctor and uh, davros mm, yeah potentially yeah but yeah, obviously you get other interactions with davros as well that don't they don't spring to mind as strongly as the one in genesis but maybe when we rewatch some of those we might get a bit more of it there i guess dan I hope we do because uh, I can't get enough of stuff like this. This mm. this bit in the in the in the the cage in the torture chamber is very much one of the big parts of the episode. Yeah, yeah. To me, it makes the episode. Everything else that sort of comes after it, uh, I, I think there's not masses there really that we would go as in depth with as we have with this particular scene because there's so much that I mean, Eccleston is fantastic, and as crazy and as weird as it sounds. The Dalek is good too in this. Yeah. <laughs> I don't. Wanna, I'm, not, I'm not saying he should be nominated for some kind of acting award. End of the day, he's a, he's a freaking Dalek for crying out loud. But you know, he's the whole thing is just done so well. And it's it, it's not so much that the Dalek's conveying emotion, but you can. It's more assessing the situation of being alone in the universe. Mm. It's built. It's built to receive orders. It's not going to get any. So what do I do now? Or what does the Dalek do now? And even when it backs off from the doctor when it gets in his face when he gets in its face that's even that's just adopting a more defensive position 
So while it looks like fear uh, or it looks like emotion, when you think about it, it can be completely explained in the context of what a Dalek is. Yeah. But one thing I do like later on in the episode is the strategic nature of the Dalek shows how it, it uses Rose's emotions to get what it needs. Mm. When Almost she, that kind of survival at all costs kind of. Yeah, yeah exactly. Because when, when Rose and Adam go down the cage to stop it being tortured, Rose doesn't know what a Dalek is. No, she's not. Adam, Adam doesn't know what a Dalek is. And uh, let me just find out. She, she asks if it's in pain. Yes, that's um, right. Yes, I am in pain. They torture me, but still they fear me. Do you fear me? And then it says it's dying, and Rose just wants to help. Yeah, it's, just reaches out, doesn't she? And yeah, but the doctor says, sorry, the, the Dalek says, "I welcome death, but I'm glad that before I die, I met a human who was not afraid." The Dalek doesn't know what glad is. <laughs> it's yeah. just no. It just knows to use it in that context to get what it wants. It's quite manipulative, <laughs> which is just another layer of sinister. And a I've had ex-girlfriends like this. Yeah, <laughs> <You'll be loving laughs> <it>. <laughs> yeah, and also as you explained there, Dan, that's kind of what happens. And Rose reaches out like, quite emotionally and, and touches the Dalek, and the Dalek uses uh, how do they word it? Is it her DNA from from that touch to kind of? So the Dalek extrapolates the D, uh, the DNA of a time traveler to initiate initiate cellular reconstruction. Yeah, which basically yeah, means. Yeah. Rose's touch regenerates the Dalek inside, regenerates some of its weapon systems, and it can now shooty shooty bang bang its way out. Um, and then it kind of finishes that process by sapping all the power and knowledge from a, a, like a computer desk, a computer station, a, a, yeah. an internet link up, I guess. Because it's well known that to the best access to the internet from any computer is to smash the screen in. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah. Um, but this is all happening while the Doctor's being examined slash tortured by Van Staten, who's mm-hmm. clocked that the Doctor's an alien and now wants to patent his binary vascular system. Yeah. Christopher Eccleston with his shirt off is not a good look, is it? Better than I'd look with my shirt off. And me, to be fair. Let's move on. <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> but the, this whole torture thing and the stuff you find out about Van Staten, that he's, uh, you know, they got he made broadband out of alien you know, extrapolate, reverse engineered that from alien junk. He found mm-hmm. a cure for the common cold, but kept it hushed because why? Why sit? Why make a cure when I can make billions from them, thousands of palliatives? It, yeah. he just, he's an irredeemable bastard. It's just an absolute git, isn't it? The, doc- <laughs> the doctor comes out with another one of those great poignant lines where he says, "Do you know what the Dalek is? A Dal- the Dalek's honest. It does what it was made yeah. to do for the survival of its species. That creature in your dungeon is better than you." Mm-hmm. <laughs> Because you're basically, you're a fucking snake. You're a scumbag. And at least the Dalek, which is this killing war machine, at least it knows what it's doing. And is, as you said, Dan, as the doctor said, the Dalek is honest. You're a rat bastard. (laughs) (laughs) One of my favourite bits as well, going back to the uh, the, the cage, is when the torturer comes back is, what are you going to do? Sucker me to death? Yes. Ah, exactly. Exactly. (laughs) And that's the kind of... It's really weird because obviously compared to Classic Who, we're going to see a lot of special effects in Classic Who that look dated, that look mm. bad, that look awful. This here, obviously in comparison to what we watched for the last episode and what we're going to be watching in the future as well, this here was very modern in theory because it was 2005 in comparison mm. to 1974 and so on. But those effects, watching back today, 
I don't think they've aged particularly well. They haven't. Um, CGI um, has come on leaps and bounds. Yeah. And, and we're very used to in TV shows, you know, you look at your Game of Thrones, you, you when you watch it, The Witcher. Um, <laughs> I Game of Thrones either. <laughs> Walking, Walking Dead? Nope, not seen that. Oh, for God's sake, Simon. <laughs> Do you feel Mags' pain now? Because he goes through this every episode of Chain Wrestling with me as well. Yeah. Anyway, <laughs> but your, your modern sort of big budget series, big budget mm-hmm. movies, the CGI is impeccable. Even video games nowadays. like Yeah. Sometimes, you know, you look at it and think, wow, that's amazing. The early, two, the early to mid-2000s was this weird sort of time where the CGI looked great at the time, but it was only scratching the surface mm-hmm. of what the technology could do. So it does look dated because I think practical effects in many ways age better than CGI. Okay. Well, you look at something like, you've probably not seen it, but you look at something like the original Star Wars, you look at something like the original Star Wars trilogy where they did, they did a lot of their effects with miniatures. I've seen very that, yeah. I've seen those. Yeah. I've yes. seen those. Yeah. I've seen um, those films. <laughs> they did their effects with, um, at least on the original versions, with um, miniatures and, and panning camera shots and all the rest of it. So it still looked, at least when I was a kid, before they, before they went over everything with CGI, it still looked great. Mm. But you can go back now to the prequel trilogy, particularly the first two, episodes one and episode two, and it looked ropey, really okay. ropey. So, it's yeah, it's just the CGI just was good for the time, but the technology outgrew it very quickly. Mm, no, that makes so sense. In the context of the year it was made, that is good CGI. Mm. I mean, don't get me wrong, it doesn't ruin anything for me. It's, you know, I mean, oh, I, no. I've watched, I watched an episode of Doctor Who not long ago where the monster is effectively um, some bubble wrap with a torch shone through it. So <laughs> trust me, it, special effects are not the be on end or for me. But it's kind of when it happened, I was a bit like, oh, okay. Yeah, it was just one of those moments where I sort of looked at and thought, well, that's a bit, that's a bit unexpected, if that makes sense, you know? Yeah, it was just, yeah, it's just a little, it's just a little jarring more than anything else. Mm. But you swiftly move yeah. on from it because there's a, there's a story to tell and there's exterminations to witness. Yeah, I mean the Dalek by this stage is is out and about now. He's going for a good old stroll, isn't he, around the museum, and yeah. um, he's, he's he's zapping away at anyone who's getting in his way. And that special effect, I do love the yes. the kind of negative. Again, it, it stems right back to the the, the, the classic who you always had. When when somebody was exterminated by a Dalek, a lot of the time they showed the negative image, so the colours, the black and white colours, were reversed. You're getting you the same it. here. Sorry, we didn't mention it last week, but I really like that. Mm. <laughs> yeah, yeah, and and you're getting the same thing here, which is brilliant because it kind of carries on from classic Who, but you also get the skeleton superimposed in the middle of it as well, and that's banging. I really, really like that. Yeah, I do love those ex- the, the the extermination visual effects. It's um, I can't really add more to what you said. It's brilliant, mm. uh, really brilliant. Um, and all the while, the Daleks saying things like "The Daleks survive through me," and yeah. you've got Van Staten calling his soldiers dispensable and saying he doesn't want to see a scratch on the Dalek just as the last gunshots fired. Yeah, and don't then, hurt my new toy. You know, yeah, don't crash my car. <laughs> yeah, um, exactly. And then we we get Adam. What's supposed to be Adam's big moment when uh, him, him Rose and uh, a soldier of Got to uh, got up a flight of stairs, and we get with the best will in the world. He's a better actor than I'll ever be. 
but you get a very soap opera delivery of a really good line. Right, yeah. great, great big alien death machine defeated by a flight of stairs. And it just comes across a bit of a condescending prick. Yeah, I mean, I'm not being funny. If I was in that situation, I mean, the, the first thing that comes to mind is, why have you stopped? Yes. I don't They're understand so, that whatsoever. It's so the um, it's so the soldier can try and reason with the Dalek, and so they can show off some of that fantastic uh, 2005 CGI again. Where the Dalek takes off. Elevate. This was a point... <laughs> I remember watching it as a teenager. I remember the point because my dad hadn't been enjoying the series up until that point. As soon as the Daleks started flying, he just went, nope, got up and walked out of the room. Why? Okay. <laughs> that was it. To me, it. To me, it's the other way around. I can remember, I don't know who it was, whether it was someone like Russ Abbott or Helen Pace, or it was a comedian back in the day anyway, uh, or, or sketch show back in the day, and it would mock Doctor Who and mock the Daleks because they couldn't go up and down stairs or go up and down a curb or something like that, you know, on the side <laughs> of the road. Uh, and, and my dad used to laugh at this, watching this TV program, and, mm. and I'd sit there kind of feeling a bit awkward about it because this is the thing that I love, and they're taking the mick out of it. I wasn't quite old enough to understand it's it's just a bit of fun, it's, it's, it's comedy, yeah. and, you know, I was sort of sat there a bit awkward, like, oh, okay. But when I saw this Dalek take off over the stairs, my first thought straight away was, ha, fuck you, hell and pace. All right? That's- <laughs> <laughs> now, it may not have been hell and pace, granted, but, you know, it's that, it is that kind of mindset that, yeah, they finally got around that problem they had. <laughs> yeah. yeah. I did like that. Um, and then coming up next, you're getting, basically the doctor's having to explain to Van Staten why it's a bad idea to let this thing loose, mm. which is just like, and even after he gets told it'll it'll execute the entirety of Salt Lake City, yeah. Van Staten's still just like, yeah, but I don't want to die. That's this is the point. So they're trying to set up a, a sort of ambush, I suppose. Mm-hmm. Somewhere in the, the they did quite it was quite cool looking at all the schematics of the you know the underground base and all of the all the rest of it. We get a great bit of music, and I don't know if you'd have picked up on it because I don't know how big a gamer you are to be honest. If you play, you do you, you don't really play much, do you? Not of, like, classic. No. So I take it you've never played Metal Gear Solid Two. No. Anybody listening who's played Metal Gear Solid 2? I think my son has that. Yeah. Just tweet me about it, but, well, yeah, maybe don't, but whatever, if you want to do it. Um, tweet me about it. The music at this point in the episode, where the just before the Dalek comes around the corner, where the ambush is waiting, sounds like in Metal Gear Solid 2 when you're running for Arsenal gear and it's all going a bit weird. Okay. So you know something, something's about to happen. Right, some shit's going to and my god, it, and my god, in this does something happen? It, this is the scene where the Dalek. I, th- I think it, it is where the scene the Dalek is incredibly intelligent for me with the yes. sprinklers, isn't it? Yeah, and again, it's it's another thing. It, it, they've already they've outright told us that the Daleks are genius, right? Uh, you know, how, and how it broke the lock a billion billion combinations in a fraction of a second, whatever it was. This is where it shows the strategy side of things. Mm-hmm. Got all yeah. these, got all these guys, all these soldiers and technicians and scientists firing at the thing. I mean, it's basically anyone who can grab a gun is there, isn't it? And they're, and they're all in different positions, mm. shooting at the Dalek all at once, aren't they? Yes. Although the um, the leader, the leader of them of the the gun force, I don't know, leader of the little sort of makeshift squadron, has already completely dismissed the Doctor by yeah. saying, "I think we can handle one team can." Um, very arrogant kind of comment, doesn't it? Yeah, your mates didn't. 
Um, but anyway, uh, yeah, it's my word what it does. I didn't expect to see that back in the day. But I really like the explanation of the force field. They just sort of oh, the bullets, bullets before it hits yeah. them. Yeah. We get a little bit of bullet time, which at that time, the Matrix was a big thing. Mm-hmm. So, that, you know, that's what I took very strong Matrix vibes from that moment seeing the bullets come towards the Dalek and yeah, slow down and I think we just about finished the trilogy by this point of the Matrix okay because um, I think it was 99, 2002, 2004 okay so yeah you're a year or so out aren't you I suppose yeah so a bit of bullet time but then the Dalek just elevates hits the sprinklers so everyone's soaking wet yeah and this is where we kind of get an insight into what that bolt actually is Mm-hmm. Or at least what part of it is. Because the Dalek just shoots the floor, electrocutes everybody stood on the floor, yeah. gets another one up onto the gantry, everybody dead in two shots. Yeah. Efficient, effective killing machine. Yeah, and that's exactly what it is. It's, it's a killing machine, isn't it? It's a war machine. And it is, as you said, Dan, very, very efficient. It just wipes out this whole group of technicians and soldiers with, I've got here, bloody hell, that Dalek's clever. So, you know, yeah. <laughs> on my notes, though. So. Minimal fuss. Yeah, but, I mean, we get that moment there where, where he's wiped out all of these people, mm-hmm. and it very, very quickly takes a turn in a different direction again, doesn't it, with regards to the Dalek then explaining that it feels lost without orders and so on. Yeah, it's, it's very much the Dalek still trying to process what to do because mm. it... It was built to receive orders. No orders are coming. What do I do now? The primary objective is Dalek survival. Yes. So does it just keep killing until it's the only one left? It was was the Doctor's opening line when the Dalek opens communications. The Doctor has just heard a good dozen people die. Yeah. In two shots, there's more dead downstairs. Tries to play it cool. You're going to get rusty. Yeah. As the sprinklers are still pouring down. Yeah. But, um, they, they don't suffer with rust, would they? Would they suffer with rust? Surely not. Well, they can, they can melt bullets, so probably not. No, they're probably um, going to be okay, aren't they? Dalek. Yeah, but um, we go through the whole thing that we just mentioned before of the Dalek wanting to know where he gets his orders. And this is where Eccleston delivers another one of those moments where you're just like, Oof. one of those real powerful moments. says, all right, then, if you want orders, follow this one. Kill yourself. Yeah. The Daleks must survive. The Daleks have failed. Why don't you finish the job and make the Daleks extinct? extinct? Rid the universe of your filth, which filth yeah, is, is a really strong word. That's something you could see tea time on a Saturday. Yeah. And the, but then we see the Doctor, we said it earlier, foaming, frothing mad. Yeah. Shout, why don't you just die? He's so angry, spits flying out of his mouth, mm-hmm. hitting the camera, and he's intense. And he's, you can see the hatred in his face. And just obviously very calmly, because the Daleks can only raise or lower the voices, the Dalek gets the last word. Yeah. You would make a good Dalek. And that line there is chilling, isn't it? Because oh. it's, not, it's not the sort of shouting, yelly, almost higher tone Dalek voice. It's mm. a very sort of collective, uh, or sorry, collected kind of statement. The Dalek knows what it's saying there. It's very that, kind of switched on with that statement. It's a delivery of a scientific assessment. Yes. That's what it is, clinical. The Dalek has processed everything that's just happened, and that is its conclusion. 
Yes, exactly, exactly. <laughs> Effectively, then we've got a situation where the the Dalek can be sort of enclosed off, can't it? Uh, with yeah. closing the bulkhead, they say, isn't it? Yeah. Um, however, this closing these big doors down in in this section of the the museum and the laboratories and so on, we end up with Rose caught in with the Dalek because she's just not quick enough. The do- the Doctor has to kind yeah. of make a difficult decision and again the fear of the dalek i suppose plays a big part in this the doctor shuts the door rose doesn't quite make it through the door so rose is left with the sorry yeah sorry the the power was unsustainable as well because they were rerouting emergency power yes um van staten finally making himself useful um but yeah rose gets left with the dalek Mm -hmm. and we hear uh, there's a really sort of bittersweet moment with rose and the doctor on the phone where yeah. she's insisting that it's, it's, it's not insisting his fault, it's not his fault. Yeah. remember that it wasn't your fault saying she wouldn't have missed it for the world and then we all, all we hear is exterminate and that's that and we're looking at Eccleston when it happens and he, he removes the sort of earpiece doesn't he and has a kind mm. of distant stare but his eyes kind of just they kind of his facial expression and his eyes and the way he removes the earpiece that he's listening to the phone call on send the message out without having to use any words at all I think yeah they do really do he's he's lost somebody else that's what that look is it's it's a guy who's lost almost everything found someone who has very quickly become the center you know it, it, he can show them the world you know he can, if he can, he can aladdin it he can show them a whole new world um, <laughs> but and then now he thinks through his own fault, this this asshole billionaire and, and the Daleks still being around, that that's now gone and he's alone again. Mm. It, and it, he blames very... everybody, doesn't he? He goes on a rant to them, the Doctor, and he blames everybody around. He blames the, the young lad from Coronation Street. His name escapes me. Was it Adam? Yeah. Yeah, Adam. Yeah, Adam. He blames Adam by saying, well, you, you were quite quick on your feet there. You got through the door. Uh, he has a he has a go at on Stratton again. He has a go at anyone around the Dalek as well. Whatever. When ultimately, he had a part to play in it himself because he had to bring the doors down. Now, granted, yeah. the decision was kind of took out of his hands with regards to the power issues as well. But he's not squeaky clean in all this. It's very no. much a deflective behaviour, isn't it? It's lashing out through grief. Yes. Um, anybody who's got to get too sort of philosophical about it, but anybody who's who's ever lost anybody will have done this to a degree uh, or at least, or at least thought it, but obviously with it being so such an intense experience and so raw and, and it is right there. Um, I can, I can, you can sort of understand why it's a very natural human way of dealing with it, mm. or at least part of it. So, but yeah, it was, uh, but I like how Adam just shouts back. This is, I'm not the one who closed the bulkheads. Yeah, exactly. I'm sorry, I was running from my for my life from this thing I've just seen kill thirty people. Everybody. <laughs> yeah. And I see it's it's kind of it's said in a way where he's they've obviously teased the attraction between Rose and uh, and Adam. Mm. And it's kind of like it, it's it's said almost in a way of I know I fancied her, but I've known her for five minutes. Yeah. <laughs> exactly. <laughs> Eventually, well well, quite quickly really, we, we kind of find out the Dalek hasn't exterminated rose and and can't exterminate rose it can't kill yeah. rose because it shares some of rose's dna now and has feelings to a degree 
and, and it's basically described as being contaminated, isn't it? It's no longer pure mm. Dalek because it has these other aspects to it, I guess. It's extrapolated a bit of humanity, which yes. says to me that if this if this has been impl- implemented in the Daleks, it was maybe made for extrapolating from Time Lords. So it was able to do that efficiently and to a proper degree, whereas the, the difference between human and Time Lord DNA is obviously taken something extra or gone a bit wrong. Yeah, so okay. I, so I never even thought that deep into it, but that does make a lot of sense. That that's that's far more intelligent than I ever went near. To be fair, <laughs> <laughs> I've, I've watched this so many times. I've had to do some mental gymnastics to justify it. <laughs> uh, from there, though, and this is the weird. I suppose it shows how good the writing for this episode is. Rose walks out with the Dalek, and the Dalek says he wants to be three, mm. and blows a hole in the roof to allow some sunshine in. Yeah, and we basically then get the the Dalek casing, the, the 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 tank unit, for want of a better term, opening up to allow the the squidgy, phlegmy substance that is the Dalek inside, squid brain. Yeah, yeah, to to feel sunshine, and you get this kind of again quite touching moment with the Dalek, where you, you end up almost feeling sorry for the Dalek throughout this process, mm. but ultimately, it looks like something. I would cough up in the morning when I used to smoke with an eye stuck on it, <laughs> you know? And it's kind of, it's a really weird, surreal scene, isn't it? You've got this horrible, gloopy, tentacled squid thing, but you feel sorry for it again. Yeah, it's really properly bizarre. Um, but I think also it adds a living face to what was ultimately just a, a faceless machine. And you're mm. always more inclined to feel sorry for something when you can see that it's actually alive and not just a lot of circuits, wires and bits of metal. Yeah, I suppose. Unless you take into consideration Johnny Five from Short Circuit, I suppose. Do you know what? I've never seen it. Have you not? You've taken a piss at me now, haven't you? <laughs> no, I've, 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 seen, I've seen half of it. Okay, okay. Well, it's a good film. A bit dated, but it's a good film. Ultimately, the Dalek does what the Doctor ordered it to do a little while ago because Rose orders the Dalek to kill itself. It's awaiting orders. Rose gives it the order to, to end its life, and the Dalek does so. And that's kind of, I suppose, effectively the end of the episode and the end of what we've got done, really, isn't it, I suppose? Yeah, but it's not before the Dalek gets another really good line, and you get a really good exchange between the Doctor and Rose, because the Doctors, in this time, the Daleks failed to kill Van Staten, but made him cower, which was very nice. And the Doctor's found in Adam's scrap bin, he's found a gun. Oh, of course. I forgot about this moment, yes. Um, So Doctor rounds the corner as the Dalek sort of basking in the sunlight. He tries to get Rose to move out of the way. She refused. He said, that thing killed hundreds of people. And she just looked at him and says, that's not the one pointing the gun at me. Yeah, that's brilliant, isn't it? Yeah, it's awesome. He said, he's got to do it. That thing destroyed my home, my people. He's got nothing left. And and then Rose just said, look at it. Recaps that it couldn't couldn't kill her, couldn't kill Van Staten. So, you know, asking asking what the hell the Doctor's turning into. And he kind of, the Doctor has a, a moment where he almost breaks down. Mm. He, he stood as I couldn't, I wasn't. And then it's just, they're all dead. Yeah. As if, you know, as if that's a justification for what he's going to do. And the, um, the dialect butts in saying, why do we survive? I'm the last of the dialects. And the Doctor says, you're not even that. Yeah. And, and that's where the contamination thing can kind of yeah. comes into play, isn't it? And the Dalek's saying, I can feel so many ideas, so much darkness, Rose, give me orders, order me to die. This is not life, this is sickness. Mm. Which that line is brilliant. Yeah. It just, <laughs> it just shows it, how, 
would rather die than than carry on living in a form that is not pure Dalek as well, I guess. It's, it's almost like a form of torture to the Dalek, isn't it? Yeah, and it it very much goes back to things, the ideas that we were saying last week about master races and the mm-hmm. Nazi ideal and, and and this, you know, this this pure blood thing, as you said. And then uh, I took great joy in writing the uh, the sentence, the Dalek's balls detach. Um, <laughs> I mean, yeah. <laughs> forms a little sphere around it and it, that's it, boom, gone. Yeah, zaps itself away. Uh, the Doctor then strolls back to the TARDIS with Rose. They both jump in. Uh, the little fella from Coronation Street joins them and, and off they jaunt, I guess. But not before Van Staten gets his comeuppance. Oh, yes, in a, a city beginning with S. 200 personnel, then it's all because of you. Take him away, wipe his memory, and leave him by the road someplace. Yep. Uh, you can't do this to me, I'm Henry Van Staten. And by tonight, Van Staten will be a homeless, brainless junkie living on the streets of San Diego, Seattle, Sacramento, someplace beginning with S. And it was just perfect revenge for a character that you've just despised for the last 45 minutes. Yeah. <laughs> Have you got the script in front of you? <laughs> I... <laughs> The worrying thing is, I knew a lot of this off by heart because I remember liking it so much, but I okay. did, I did transcribe a lot of it, yeah. Fair enough. <laughs> <laughs> and that kind of, well, that, that literally brings us to the end of the episode. All, all the loose ends are kind of tied up, I guess. Off the Doctor goes to uh, deal with a frosty-looking Simon Pegg the following week. And yep. um, there we Simon, go. So. Simon, Simon Pegg and his, uh, uh, and his violent blancmange. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> that's a, that's a great episode title. We're going to steal that. <laughs> Dan, I'll go first this week, my friend. As a yeah. bit of a sum, as a bit of a summary, I guess. Uh, I I really, really, really enjoyed this. This was far better than I remember it being. I remember being there being certain scenes that were quite powerful. The Doctor being terrified, for example, as I mentioned earlier on in the episode, being being really sort of stand out in my mind. That aside, I couldn't remember much other than there only being one Dalek and maybe it was going to be an episode I would skip past if I was looking for a Christopher Eccleston one to look at. But I'm really glad that you picked this for me to go back and watch because as much as I enjoyed it first time round, I probably wouldn't have revisited it without some prompting and I, I bloody loved it. Yeah, I think it's one where particularly the script has aged fantastically, but I also picked it because of the parallels and, and the way it complements uh, what we watched in the previous episode, Genesis of Daleks. There's so many, there's so many things that tie in that I feel like this was almost written with that in mind. Now that could just be the recency bias of having watched them to watch them so close together. Okay, but this script is one of the better ones. And then obviously the way the lines are delivered for the most part by Eccleston, by Piper, by the guy who voices the Daleks, whose name I always forget because I'm terrible. <laughs> 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 but. Yeah, it's, and I wanted to stay away from the sort of the better known ones like the uh, the Bad Wolf two parter, which is the finale, mm-hmm. or the uh, the Empty Child two parter, yeah, or any any of the sort of cheesier episodes. I just yeah, this was just the for me it was the perfect time, and it's an episode that I've always really really liked. Yeah, and I, I enjoyed it. I really, and it makes me want to go back and revisit more Eccleston. To be honest, I always in my mind when people ask me who who are my favourite Doctors. Eccleston's always in the conversation for me because I really enjoyed when he was the Doctor. But I've not revisited his stuff 
a great deal. So it makes me kind of want to go back and, and, and watch some more, I think. Yeah, and it, it's kind of the thing that no matter how cheesy the story, how sort of lame-looking some of the villains are, how badly some of the CGI's aged, or any of that, Eccleston and Piper always put in great performances. Yeah. And, I, and that's that really does carry it at times. Like, I've never particularly liked the, um, the Charles Dickens... Uh, Gas Ghosts episode. Okay, so I don't remember that at all. So I'll have to go back and have a watch of that one. Eh, don't rush to it. Um, <laughs> but you know you're always going to get a storming performance from Eccleston and Piper. Mm-hmm. Okay, so fair enough. It's worth going for. So, shall I give you some homework as to what we're going to watch next week? Go on then, what are we having? We are going, well, there's. I kind of wanted to change it up a little bit, mate, because we've had two Dalek stories, haven't we? And we've had two stories that were very colourful on screen and with storyline as well. So I thought we'd go a little bit further back and maybe something in a bit of black and white. Go on then. Okay. And I thought we would have a look at something non-Dalek. But again, you mentioned them earlier on and seeing the helmet in the uh, the museum on this episode kind of inspired me to a degree. So I think we should have a little look at a Cyberman story from way back when. Uh, and I'd, I'd like to go back and have a little look at a Patrick Trayton story from okay. 1967 called Tomb of the Cybermen. It's a four episode serial. It's got some very symbolic moments of Cybermen coming out of tombs and so on and, and uh, emerging from their their layers and cells, uh, etc. Uh, very old-style-looking Cybermen, which in a way look even more scary than some of the more modern, well-defined ones. But yeah, the Patrick Triton tale from, from 1967, Tomb of the Cyber- Cybermen, my friend. Tomb of the Cybermen. Tomb of the Cybermen. Was that, the, was that the West Country ripoff? Yeah, that's right. It's nowhere near as scary. <laughs> Tomb of the Cyber Men. There we go. Put my teeth in. <laughs> Sounds good to me. Excellent stuff, Bird. Excellent stuff. Before we disappear, do you just want to let everyone know whereabouts they can find you online and whereabouts uh, they can hear all your other content and so on as well? Uh, yeah, you can find me on Twitter at DanGriffin21, uh, usually tweeting about wrestling uh, that's six weeks out of date or Doctor Who or movies that are 25 years out of date. You know, still, <laughs> still more recent than some of the uh, TV shows that Sai's watched. Um, yeah, totally. <laughs> <laughs> uh, you can listen to me on uh, Unbooking the Territory, which is a uh, wrestling podcast. Uh, we're in season two at the moment, looking at the first and lasts of professional wrestling. We've got a side project called Unbooking the Tankatory, which is uh, a niche within niche looking at the uh, the life and career of Tank Abbott. Brilliant uh, stuff. I <laughs> <laughs> um, still I'm still not sure how we got to doing that. And you can hear me on the monthly pay per view reviews on the That Nineties Wrestling Podcast playlist of uh, Primetime Conversations YouTube channel, which you can find searching for Primetime Conversations or find them on Twitter at Primetime Convos. All great stuff, my friend. All great stuff. You can find me at SJP Words on Twitter, at SJP Words, where there's tweets and retweets and links to my shows um, at chain underscore wrestling at SJP pod or, or at the waiting room underscore. But if you follow at SJP words, you can find it all there. And most importantly, you can follow this show on Facebook and Twitter at the doctor who pod. And it is exactly as it sounds at T H E D R 
W-H-O-P-O-D at the Doctor Who pod. I am very much looking forward, Dan, to going way back when to 1967 and checking out a black and white story with you and to get your thoughts on some really, really early Who next week. Yeah, I can't wait myself. Uh, it's going to be great going back to see Troughton. Obviously, I've seen him in the uh, the crossover movies. Really liked the sort of. He always seems a bit madcap to me. I know the Doctor's generally madcap anyway, but there's a very seems to be a very specific Troughton style of madcap to it that only he can sort of do. So I'm very much looking forward to that. Yeah, great stuff. I'm looking forward to it too, my friend. So that's that. That concludes it for today. Then uh, chuck us a follow on all the social media links I just mentioned. And Dan, I'll speak to you again very, very soon. Speak to you next week, mate. Bye bye.